0: Welcome into the, the Clap Trap. Trap, brought to you by Ultrasound Productions, now also playing on 90.7 WKKL.
1: Brandon Hagel chases Lindholm, Lindholm bends off the check, haul it to Posterland!
0: It's an excellent pass from Eric Hall. You can't get beat on the indirect to the outside, but this is
2: where it is. Win your puck battles, take that first outlet pass. Lindholm checks both
0: boxes, and then Hall with a great pass to Pastanac, able to pick it up in stride around a very good defenseman in Ryan McDonough. Huge win. Huge, huge win for this Bruins team, I don't care what you tell me about how the Tampa Bay Lightning have not been playing good recently, I don't care about now the fact that they're on a three-game losing streak and all that stuff, this Tampa Bay Lightning team is still good, and the Bruins were without Patrice Bergeron, so huge win in my opinion, huge hugs between Linus Allmark and Swayman after the game, love that always, but what a performance, from the squad, what a performance from an undermanned team! Like I said, I mean, not having Bergeron, not having the captain of the team in this one, just huge. I mean, not having him for the past four games also been huge, and and I want to get into that. I want to talk about that. I also want to talk about everything on this show today. I want to talk about some NFL stuff. We got NFL news. We've got uh, stuff about the Celtics to talk about. We talk about the Red Sox. Maybe the NCAA tournament. We've got a lot going on to talk about. But I got to start off with the Bruins' huge win. I can't say it enough. Huge, huge, huge win. That's the that's the word of the day. Huge. It was massive to get this moment out of the way or get this this win out of the way, because. Like I said, not only were you undermanned, but now you have officially moved into third place in the Atlantic Division and have an actual chance to get to the number two seed in the division. If if we can get ahead of the uh, the Maple Leafs, which is definitely possible, you got a game against them coming up, uh, which is going to be huge as well. I, I mean. There's only, what, 19, 18 games left in the regular season at this point. This is this is it. This is what we got to do. We got to win all these games. So, yes, I'm going to continue to call these regular season games huge because they matter so much right now. I think it is so important to get to that number two seed and be facing. I, I'm okay with facing the, uh, the, the Maple Leafs. I would rather, I guess, face the Lightning just with how bad they've been doing. But I, I don't know. either one of those teams is fine. I want to stay away from Carolina though. Obviously they have whooped our butts every single chance they've gotten this year. So you want to stay away from them. But otherwise, as long as we get into that two seed, I'm very happy with either of the matchup possibilities compared to playing the Hurricanes. They just, we can't get them. It's not like years past where we were able to get the better of them. So this is something that uh, you know, I think needs to happen. Get that home ice advantage, get it against either the Maple Leafs or the Lightning, and now we have a chance to maybe start off a decent run. Now, I don't know how far they're going to be able to go. It's going to be all dependent upon how far Jeremy Swayman can take us, really. I, I doubt you'll get much of Lena Olmark in the playoffs unless Swayman looks absolutely horrific in a single game. But I, I don't, it was a great game. It was a, It was a fun game to watch. All over the place, you had, you know, kind of a back and forth. You had Pasternak getting, I believe, his 12th hat trick of his career, which was huge. And the puck was just finding him. I mean, early in the game, I was looking at him like he had a case of the butter sticks because it felt like he had multiple opportunities to put home goals and he wasn't able to do it. it. They would just like easily slide over a stick or something. I don't know what was going on with him early, but the puck kept finding him. And it's crazy to think that he actually had more chances in this game, chances to be able to get to a four or five goal game for Posadak. I know he has been on a tear throughout this year and is having one of his better offensive years, I would say, but this puck was just finding him left and right, it felt like. So early in the game, a couple of missed opportunities, but obviously throughout the rest of the game, he was doing really well. He was burying his chances and he was getting a ton of those chances. So uh, I was happy about that. I was unhappy with the the second goal that scored that was scored for the Lightning against the Bruins. I mean, once again, as much as I love Brad Marchand for every good thing that he does, sometimes he makes you want to just rip your hair out. There's just some moments with Brad Marchand when he just I don't know, he he turns his brain off for a second. Obviously, it was a tough situation in the zone, but he loses the puck and you know on a, on a power play, and right at the blue line, so all of a sudden you get a two-on-two with him, and I forget who the defenseman was at the time. It was maybe it was Charlie McAvoy, but they go into the zone, and it looks like Brad Marchand was completely lost. He, he, first of all, he gave up the puck, and then secondly, horrible defending in the two-on-two situation. Like, he didn't even expect that there could ever be a pass coming from the corner to the front of the net. Or he didn't realize that there was another player for the Tampa Bay Lightning skating up the slot, ready to, to get a nice, easy pass from the corner. Brad was completely turned around. He basically did a 360 at the goal line, not knowing what the heck was going on, no effort whatsoever, and the Lightning get an easy goal against Swayman that should not have happened. Should not have happened because, first of all, you shouldn't have turned over the puck. Secondly, what are we doing on that two-on-two? What what are we doing, Brad Marchand? I'm upset about it. I, I love him. And maybe it's because I have such high expectations for him. I'm sure everybody has high expectations for one of our best players on the team, but I don't expect just offense from you, Brad. I expect you to be able to understand what you're supposed to do in that two-on-two situation and and be able to handle a simple pass out to the front of the net. Uh, I don't know. I can't be the only one that was pissed about that. The, wild move by him. But great game overall. Just, I, I don't know, Brad, I, I, I need you to not have these moments where you turn your brain off. Really, I do. I do. But I, I need to keep talking about this game. There's more than I wanted to get into. And there's other things uh, about injuries that I wanted to talk about as well. So we're going to do that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Clap
2: Trap with your host, Zach Clap.
0: Their face licking
2: good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> can I say that? No, no, know. <laughs> if I can, I'm sorry.
0: All right. Nobody's saying he's not funny, right? Brad, Brad is great. Brad is the guy, I say this all the time, that you love him because he's on your team, but you would absolutely hate him if he was on another team because of all of his antics, the face licking, the stupid penalties, the stuff that he does that's kind of considered cheap shotting or whatever you want to talk about. He's a smaller guy, so he likes to bend over and try and get guys flipped over his back in situations. He does it all. But I, I mean, you get you got to love him. You got you to love Brad Marchand for not only his abilities on the ice to help your team be better. But he's funny. He's a funny guy. I'm not going to eat your cereal, Brad. I- I'm just not. I don't know. It's, it's something about the way you said that was very creepy to me, and I didn't like it. But, hey, you you know, you you go out there, you try and make your uh, cereal make fun of or make light of those tougher moments in your career, and it works out for you. You make a little bit of money off it, it's fine. So I, I don't know. I the, the Brad Marchand tale is such a weird one for me because, like I was complaining in the last segment, there are moments where he makes me want to rip my hair out. Uh, you know, and he he does stupid, silly moves. You could go back to that Stanley Cup game where he just, will he, won't he, get off the ice. And he did and just gave up an easy goal. Then you have, you've had moments this season where I've been pissed off about him in his play. You had a clear moment in that game against the Lightning where he gives up the horrible goal. And I, I, I don't know, there, there's good and there's bad with Brad Marchand, but there's no doubting that he's funny. He's a funny guy. Nose face killer is a funny guy, but this game was great. It was just a great overall hockey game, obviously we because we won, but I think that the, the overall product that you got to watch for just watching a, a hockey game, any casual hockey fan would have loved this product that was out there. It was just a hard-fought battle. There was a lot of great things. And then as a Bruins fan, you were extremely excited because of the fact that you had Hampus Lindholm for the first time coming into the game, playing for the Bruins, and doing really well. He was noticeably good in this game. You heard in that first segment, the leadoff clip. He had the the hockey assist, the second assist on that goal for Pasternak, where he was doing. He did a great job collecting the puck behind the net. Nice little outlet pass to Hala Hala with the indirect pass off the boards, right to Pasternak. Pasternak with kind of a lazy backhand that beats. Uh, uh, Vasilevsky for, for the Lightning, but hey, whatever, it worked, so, you know, you, you take it, and I mean, first of all, that Hala pass was insane, by the way, the indirect pass off the boards, perfect to, to Pasta, I, I, crazy pass, crazy pass, but Hampus, I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy with him. I'm happy with the way that he worked with Charlie McAvoy. I'm happy with what he allows us to do from the the defensive end. Uh, I, you know, he's an offensive guy, but he was also showing his physicality. He had some good hits in the game as well. So I was very happy with him overall. I just think that he is a good fit for this team. So he's great. That we were able to shore up that defense and get to this point. I mean, we were we were dominating the Lightning at points in this game. There was there was moments where we were up thirty to seventeen shoot on shots, things like that. Now, I I don't know. Some games I, I've said this in the past. Sometimes you outshoot the team by a ton, and it's just little dribblers that get to the net that that count as shots that aren't really shots. But sometimes you have legitimate opportunities all over the ice. We had a good amount of opportunities to score in this game. And you just were getting stoned by a really good goalie, in all honesty. That was happening right there. But it was such a huge win. It was such a big game to me because of the fact that you didn't have Patrice Bergeron. I mentioned that in the first segment. Patrice Bergeron not playing in this game was huge for me because you were able to stay lockstep with the Tampa Bay Lightning, who, once again, I don't care that they've they've lost six out of their last eight or whatever it is. They're on a three-game losing streak, all that stuff. They still have the abilities to be a dominant team. Stamkos still out there absolutely destroying us in moments, and I'm surprised that he didn't score uh, at, at certain times in that game. They have a lot of great players that, are going to be tough to play in the playoffs I, and and that's why you know I I did say that I'd rather have the Lightning over the Maple Leafs but man either one of them is still going to be tough they have great offensive weapons to be able to just score whenever they need to so i i it's going to be tough regardless but i would rather that than playing the Her- Carolina Hurricanes i think we all would in this game though i i in really in all honesty I've been, or I guess over these last four games, I've been really happy with the ability of just somebody like Thomas Nosek to be able to step up and, and be really good at the faceoff dot, something that is a huge part of Bergeron's game, being great in that face-off. He had some, Nosek had some big face-off wins in this game. He's had some big faceoff games since bergie has been out. So, I mean, I need, we need Bergeron back. I'm not trying to say that we don't, but it's been nice to see other players step up and carry the load for what he was great at doing. And so, I don't know, the the only real thing that's going on here that's a huge problem for this Bruins team right now is the fact that Bergeron is still out. We're we're still questioning what the heck is going on with him and his elbow. It was an, an elbow infection, supposedly, that started this whole thing. He had surgery to correct it, whatever they needed to do, clean it out, scrape it off, whatever they had to do with the infection, they got rid of it, and he's still missing games. And you're talking about a 36-year-old, 37-whatever-year-old guy who's already com- contemplating retiring, and now he's dealing with this infection that's keeping him out at this point in the season when we really need him down the stretch? It's tough. It's it's. I mean, I'm not saying that he's not going to come back. I, I'm assuming that he will come back, but... I don't know. I was just getting so excited from getting the Hampus Lindholm trade happening. I'm starting to think, uh, man, we're starting to really, we got in a, a, a really huge piece, especially on the defensive side, to pair with McAvoy and just to have shore up that defense that maybe it's going to convince Bergeron to at least come back for one more season. But I don't know. When you have stuff like this happen to you in, in your career, or at the end of your career, I should say, when you're this old, is it, it makes it, creep into your head a little bit more like is it worth it to go back out there and he has had some horrific injuries over his career and he's played through majority of them so i don't know it, it's that's the one thing that i'm really worried about i'm sure that's the one thing that most bruins fans are worried about right now we need the captain back obviously for a playoff run and i'm assuming that he will be back but it's it, a lot of question marks happening because once again the nhl does not give you any information about injuries, really. They barely give you, usually it's just either it's an upper body injury or a lower body injury. That's all you get most of the time. So, I mean, I'm surprised that we even found out it was an infection in his elbow. So, you, you know, I, I'm surprised they didn't just say upper body injury. He's still day-to-day, whatever it is. So, I don't know. I'm worried about that, but otherwise, I'm, I'm feeling really great about this team. I'm feeling really great, and we're going to see how things go as they continue to progress towards the end of the season here. All right we got to move on now. I'm going to start talking about the Celtics when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The
2: Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. Richard hustles back into the play. Richard working that defense. Yeah, here he sure is was, right yeah. here. Oh, yeah. That is a great possession to watch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I get it. Oh, good play. Smart comes right out. Let's watch him on the defensive end. Look at him move his feet. Ah, stop it. Watch him get up. You ain't going middle on me this time. Nope. I'm telling you. I'm telling you where to go. Jordan Clark you know what? You can just have the ball here. I don't want it. <laughs>
0: the defense of this team, the defense of this team is crazy. I, I mean, to do it against the Utah Jazz, a team who I consider to be a, a legitimate Western Conference contender. You know, I I guess up until that game, really. I I don't know. Something about that game knocked them down a tier, in my opinion. And maybe it's just the fact that really the the Celtics defense is that good. Obviously, they're the best considered statistically in the league. But when you see it on a night-in, night-out basis, man, ever since they flipped the switch from the trade deadline, this team has been so good defensively. They weren't bought into it. You can't convince me that they were bought into it before the trade deadline. They just weren't. Before, before in January when they were under 500, it was there was a lot of ice ball. We talked about this at, at nauseum to start off the season. A lot of ice ball. There was maybe a lot of personalities that were more it, it, into that way. You had guys like Schroeder on the team who didn't really gel well. You had Josh Richardson who I liked him, but you know, and he was a good locker room presence guy, kind of guy. But was he great defensively? Yeah. So you you were missing some pieces, you were missing some uh, enthusiasm off the bench, some, a different style of play, and you got that. And you've seen that ever since. The Celtics have been, from a record standpoint, statistically, defensively, the way that they've been able to score, they have been a top-tier team in the league. This was a dominating performance once again against a top-tier, what I thought was a top-tier team in the Utah Jazz, and this Jazz team didn't have any major injuries. You didn't have any reason or excuses on the Jazz side of the ball to be able to, you know, say like, oh, they well, you know, the Celtics won, but it wasn't, it, it's not like they were playing anybody. There was none of that. It was obvious that the Celtics were playing a fully healthy team, a squad that should have been able to be much more in this game, but the Celtics were able to just take it to him right out the gate. And we've been doing that. We've been having these hot starts. We've been scoring upwards of 37, 38, 39 points in the first first quarter, which is obviously a huge advantage. You come out the gate hot, and that's always going to be a good thing for the team. I mean, it's not like anyone had an overwhelmingly great offensive game for the Celtics either. It was kind of a team team game throughout. I mean, Tatum and Brown both had 26, yes, and they were pretty efficient on those 26 points each. But then you have Rob Williams with the double-double, 12-10. and 10. He had, uh, you know, three guys off the bench scoring in double figures. Tice, White, and Pritchard all had at least 10 points in the game. The The scoring was all over the place. The team ball was great. Love to see that. The major question that I'm starting to have now with this team, though, is where are we at with the expectations? Where, where are we at going forward? Do we Do we believe in this team fully to this point now? Do we think that we are going to be a finals team? Do the green teamers think now we are a championship squad? Because you do realize that once you start putting those expectations on the team, if they fall flat of that, there's going to be a lot of flack, right? There's going to be a lot of hate that's going to come. So I hope that the Celtics fans that are saying that this is now a finals team are ready for that. Because once you put that expectation on this team, if they don't live up to that, there'll be no excuses at that point. There'll be no coming back down from that level of, uh, you know, faith in this squad. I, you know, you know what I mean? Green teamers out there, anybody out there who's now expecting this team to be a finals team and possibly win a championship. Or now there are green teamers out there that are saying this is ours for the taking at this point. And I love that. Don't get me wrong. I love the enthusiasm. I understand being a die-hard fan like that and just rooting for your team no matter what and they have given you no reason to think that they can't win a finals this year with the way that they've been playing, the competition that they've been playing against, the ability that they've had this entire month of March. Only losing to the Mavericks when you had teams on the schedule like the Grizzlies, the Nets with Durant, the the Hornets who have played you good, the Pistons who have played you good. Uh, I guess you don't really throw those teams in there, but the Golden State Warriors you beat, the Nuggets, now the Jazz. All these teams are legitimate players in the NBA, and you are able to not only handle them, but handle them pretty easily, it seemed. They've been on an unprecedented stretch of just dominance on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball. And obviously, you get a lot more offense from having good defense, transition baskets. When you get a stop on defense, it's a heck of a lot easier to just run up the floor with numbers and score. And that's been one of the main catalysts to their ability to score 120, 130 points in these games, which they've been doing with regularity. So I, I don't know. It, it's It's been a heck of a run, but I'm just wondering – Honestly, Celtics fans out there, what are your expectations of this team now? Where are you moving it to? Where where, where are the goalposts at right now? Because we've done this with other teams. We did with this with the Patriots, right? I, I was saying before in episodes that if the Patriots had gotten to the playoffs, but then they just no-showed in their game, it's a completely lost season. It's a failure of a season. So we now have to figure out what would be a failure for the Celtics. Because to me... I'm still only expecting them to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm not. There's the ex- expectations of putting so much on this squad this year and thinking that they're going to make the finals that they're the best team in the Eastern Conference. That's too much for me. I, I and I, I think that if you're a Celtics fan who is setting yourself up for that, you're setting yourself up for a huge fall. And I want to talk about that more. We're gonna do that when we come back after this on ninety point seven WKKL. The Claptrap,
2: with your host, Zach Clapp.
0: Okay, so I started the conversation in the last segment, excuse me, about... The Celtics being able to, or or what the expectations are now for this team going forward. What what are green teamers thinking? What are the regular fans, diehard fans? What are you guys thinking about this Celtic squad right now? Do you think that they're just going to be able to go in there, put in a good effort, win a couple playoff series, and then that's going to be good enough for you? Do you think that they need to be in the Eastern Conference Finals to be able to consider this a win for the season, or are you at the expectation point right now where you think that they they need to be in the finals and or win the finals for this to be a success, because the problem that I'm going to find when we get into all of this, because it's all great right now. It's all it's all, you know, marshmallows and rainbows and it's great and it's awesome. And the Celtics are doing a great job right now. And that is something that I don't expect to change anytime soon, at least in the regular season. But once you get into the postseason The things that happen, the teams that you play, the stars that actually start to show up from a game-to-game basis, it's a whole new ballgame. So, to me, I'm still only expecting this team to be able to win a couple of playoff series and then maybe get to the Eastern Conference Finals. I still think that there are major roadblocks in the Eastern Conference that you need to either avoid or somehow pull off a victory against. And, And it's starting to shape up we could be getting to a position we we are within you know striking distance of either the two seed or maybe even the one seed which is crazy to think that that is the case for this squad but if you have those abilities right you might get matched up against somebody you don't want to get matched up against at least in my opinion now i know that a lot of green teamers especially after their most recent game and i just said it they beat the nets with kevin durant and all that kind of stuff. But The Nets are looking like they're going to be in either the play-in or they're just going to barely make it to the eight seed or the seven seed, something like that. Do you want to play that team in the first round if you're a Celtics fan? I don't think you do. I honestly don't. I, I don't want anything to do with them. I want somebody else to knock them out. I want the Celtics to get another cakewalk road to the Eastern Conference Finals. I want us to have to end up playing somebody like the Cavaliers or, or you know, going up against one of these other squads that is not having a, an arguably top three or best player in the league on their squad. I, you know what I mean? I would much rather play the Bulls, the the Cavaliers. Give me the Raptors. I, I'd even play like the 76ers. I know some people think that that's a cakewalk too, but I would give get take the 76ers over having to play The Bucs, the Heat, and the Nets. Those three teams, I still think, will at least give you a run for your money if not be able to beat you, Celtics fans. I I just honestly, that's how I feel their ability with their superstars, whether it's the Bucs having Giannis, who is just an absolute freak, and, and being able to stop him is so hard to do. And then you have Chris Middleton, who always is just wide open against the Celtics, no matter how good their defense is. He just always is open. I don't understand it. Or you have the Heat, who have clearly shown you can't, as a Celtics fan, believe that this squad can beat the Heat when they weren't able to do it a year or two ago uh, in the in the easiest situation. And now the Heat have actually gotten better. They've gotten Kyle Lowry, who is also another person who gives you fits. So they have Kyle Lowry, they have Jimmy Butler, and Bam Adebayo. I think that that matchup is tough for the Celtics as well. And then you have the Nets. The Nets who have arguably the best or second best player in the league in Kevin Durant. Whenever he's healthy, he is. You have another top 10 player in Kyrie Irving. I know we all hate him. We all are pissed off about how he is as a person, all this stuff. But especially recently, you have to admit that he has been a top 10 player and now he's able to play in home games as well. I want nothing to do with that Nets team. I want nothing to do with them. And I hope that we don't have to do that. But... It's been nice to see this. It's been nice to see this big run that they've been able to go on. But do you feel like the expectations should be championship or bust? Because I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for all these green teamers. And these are all the people that obviously you just hear them yapping in the beginning. But then if something goes wrong, you never hear from them again. I, I know that that's how it works. I, I'm not ignorant to that fact. But once we get into this playoffs, my expectations are you win a couple of playoff series and you're good in my book. You're good you're good. That's fine. You can can walk away winning a couple playoff series. You do need to win a couple playoff series, but a couple playoff series is fine by me. If you don't make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, but you put in a good effort in the the second round, I'm fine with that, honestly. But if you're going to give the expectations of they need to be in the Eastern Conference Finals or they need to win the Eastern Conference Finals, they need to win the East, and then they go out there and they kind of fall flat of that, you're going to have to tell me that it's a failure of a season, right? Because I don't want to see you then move the goalposts and be like, well, nobody expected anything of them. Nobody thought that they were going to be able to do anything. They only have Tatum and Brown, blah, 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 all this stuff, because that's the excuse-making that'll happen. That'll make it okay. If they win one playoff series and lose in the second round, the people were like, this team is going to win the East. This team is going to vie for a championship. This team is going to win a championship. All of those people... We'll just move the goalpost back and say, wait, nobody was expecting them to do anything. Look at what they were like in January. They were under-500 team. This was a great win. This was more than what they needed to do. They did way more than enough for us. I hate that. I hate when people do that. Stick to your guns, people. If you say that it's going to be, if your expectations are here and they don't meet it, say that you were wrong. Say that it was a failure. Put your hand up and, and just acknowledge that. That's the one thing with sports debating that I hate all the time. I mean, I did it with the Patriots, unfortunately. I had told you, if they didn't at least put up an effort in that game against the Bills, it was a failure of the season. They didn't put up an effort. It was a failure of a season. That's, that's the word. It hurt me deep down inside. You have to look at the Celtics, though, the same way as you would look at the Patriots, as you would look at the Bruins, any of these teams, the Red Sox, whatever you would have expectations for. If you put expectations at a certain height, they have to meet that. And I'm still just worried. I'm worried if they're going to be able to get there. I'm worried. There's still major question marks. This team has been so healthy, too, which you never, you know, knock on wood, Rob Williams has had an unprecedented run of no injuries. Yes, I knock on wood again. The, the, he, If he is able to stay healthy, yes, we are going to be great. But it takes one little injury or, or just the bench not being able to step up for this team to be in a much worse position. I love what they've done since the trade deadline. I love the defense. I love the effort. I love Derek White. I think he completely changed the entire season. I put it all on that trade. I don't care about how bad he's been shooting. I don't. I think he changed the whole dynamic of the team. But man, if you're putting expectations on this squad of having to win the Eastern Conference Finals or having to get to the NBA Championship, the NBA Finals at this point, just be prepared because if they don't reach that, you have to tell me that it was a failure of a season. Because that's where we're getting to. That's where we're at. All right, it's time to move on from the Celtics. We're going to start talking about the NFL and some big news that happened with that after this on 90.7 WKKL.
2: The Claptrap with your host, Zach
0: Clapp. Big trade news happening in the NFL recently. We had the gigantic trade that the Miami Dolphins made for scumbag Tyreek Hill from the Chiefs. They traded, uh, you know first round picks, second round, fourth round, whatever. They threw a whole smorgasbord of picks at the Chiefs and then signed Tyreek Hill to a gigantic four-year, $120 million deal, something ridiculous like that, to come play in Miami. So now... The, the Patriots are going to have to deal with Tyreek Hill two times a year in their own division, and the Miami Dolphins now have two insane wide receivers. Jalen Waddle is the next big thing, and you got Tyreek Hill and so that is the that is the huge news that has happened recently, and it's right in the Patriots' face. It seems as though everyone in the AFC is moving pieces. Everyone's trying. It's the arms race that everyone's trying to load up right now and get ready for a season and hopefully be the one that comes out of the AFC somehow, because right now it's, it's crazy. It's craziness in the AFC. But is anyone actually afraid of of the Dolphins now that they got Tyree kill I, I I know that it's going to be tough to to cover him I guess from a from a single player standpoint but are you afraid of a team that just has literally no quarterback does anyone have any faith in Tua Tungavailoa to be able to actually be a legitimate quarterback to be able to take advantage of the weapons like Jalen Waddle and Tyree kill yes it worked out with Jalen Waddle last year. And I think that most of that was from little slant routes, comebacks, little little uh, you know quick ten yard routes. He gets the ball out of his hand really quickly. Tua was maybe on his move on the move and throws it to him quick, and then a lot of yak, a lot of yard, uh, yards after catch, right? For Jalen Waddle is kind of what made him a lot better. But Tua cannot throw, right? Tua is not the guy that's going to be throwing downfield to a Tyreek Hill. He's not going to be the guy that's making passes like Patrick Mahomes was to a streaking Tyreek Hill whenever he you know blows by a cornerback. That was what was able to make Tyreek Hill who he was, a quarterback that could actually get him the ball when he he burned by somebody. That Do you believe that Tua is going to be able to do the same things or even anywhere close to serviceable for, for using these kind of weapons? I don't. I have no faith. I have no. Fa- I'm not. I'm not afraid of this team at whatsoever with no quarterback. And yes, I consider Tua a, a non-quarterback. I don't. He's like a Tim Tebow type to me more than he is an actual quarterback. He's the guy that can somehow win you some games sometimes, and it looks all goofy and unorthodox, but it somehow works out. That's not the guy that takes advantage of a top-tier wide receiver. Yes, unfortunately, I have to call Tyree Kill that, even though I think he's a horrible human being. He is still a top-tier talent. He's a game-changer, a game-breaker in this league. One of the fastest guys going. And I think he's only, what, 28 years old? So four-year deal. I mean, once he gets into his 30s, we'll see how the athleticism goes. But right now, all he's got to do is burn people and hope that his quarterback can get him the ball. But I have no faith in Tua to be able to get him the ball. And do you not think the way that I do that if Tyreek Hill is playing through a few games, and Tua just keeps under-throwing him when he's wide open, left and right, won't won't Tyreek Hill start getting fed up? Won't Tyreek Hill start looking around and saying, hey, I've already been paid, I've already won a championship, why am I trying to make it work with this team? Why am I trying to make it work with this bum quarterback when I got a club down the street where the bottle service girl already knows my favorite drink order, where I, where I got a table with my name on it? Where I could go and do whatever I want down in Miami and have a hell of a time with all this money that I've made, is nobody else thinking that that's where he's going to go? That's where his mindset's going to go. I feel like that's exactly where it will be. I, I don't think that he is going to be, you know, fully invested in a team when they're, uh, you know, two and four, three and six. What like they're moving their way through the season, and it's pretty clear that they're going to be a five hundred team at best. Yes, they have a good defense, or they had a good defense. I don't know what they're going to be like without Flores. I still think that that was a huge mistake by them. And they have some offensive weapons, but they have no quarterback. They have no quarterback. They're trying to get their offensive line better. They have no quarterback. And I'm sorry, that's what's, what makes or breaks your team in the NFL nowadays. That That's just what it is. Now I'm not saying that the, the Patriots are going to like blow them out of the water or anything. I'm still very worried about this Patriot squad, and we're going to talk about that soon. I want to talk about that probably in the next segment. But they are not some team that I'm really worried about. That's going to actually vault, you know, vault into a, a possible playoff spot in the AFC. The AFC is way too good to be a team that's just got some weapons and has no quarterback. That's just that's a fact. If the, if you're asking me. The Dolphins should have been focused even more on just bringing Tom Brady in. They should have been moving every single thing they had to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to just try and get Tom Brady. Because I think that if then you become a legitimate playoff team, right? Obviously, anybody who has Tom Brady is a legitimate playoff team, but you bring in better offensive line help. You already had Jalen Waddle. Maybe you try and go out, and instead of letting Jaseki go, you bring him back, or at least I guess you would get Gronk in a package deal with Brady. The defense is pretty good. So uh, that then all of a sudden the Miami Dolphins are good, but just bringing in Tyreek Hill, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not afraid of that. I'm not. I'm not thinking that that's going to actually make you a good team. And maybe, hey, maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe Tua will take some kind of big step, and, and I'm expecting Mac Jones to take a big step this year. Maybe Tua will take a big step as well. You never know. But I highly doubt it. If I had to put a bet on it, I would say that this team is no better than a 500 team with Tyreek Hill or without him. I don't think it makes a huge difference because I don't think that they have a quarterback that can actually get him the ball in the situations that he needs to be able to get them in. You know, Tua's going to be able to scramble and he's going to be able to dump it off to Tyreek Hill on little 10-yard routes. Or or comeback routes or whatever, and and that's going to be fine, and Tyreek's still going to be able to break some big plays. I'm not going to say he's not going to have highlight real plays throughout the year, but it's not going to be because he burned him downhill or downfield, uh, burned a cornerback, and then all of a sudden Tua let off a 40-yard pass downfield, hits him right in the hands, and he's just off to the races. That's just not going to happen, so... I don't know. Like I said, I'm not necessarily convinced that the Patriots are going to be good or, or I still think that they're going to be better than the Miami Dolphins right now. Just even with Tyree kill, just because I think that we actually have a better quarterback, somebody who's going to be able to step into that role even more next year. But I don't know. I'm not afraid of the Dolphins. I'm not afraid of Tyreek Hill two times a year. We'll see how things are going to go. But I need to talk about the Patriots now and what they're actually doing, which isn't much, but it is something. We're going to do that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL.
2: The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap. Do
1: you have any sense of who will be calling the plays for Mac Jones next season? All right, Laura, I went to my Patriots beat writer drawing board and this is what I came up with for you. Can you see that right there? I this do. is what I got. I got BBTBD and let me explain. I got my Bill Belichick BBTBD to be determined. Okay, Bill Belichick, I, I, I got people on his staff, they don't even know who's calling the plays. He probably knows what he's going to do, but he's not even telling people in his own building. Mm. But we can drill down a little bit here and tell you, Joe Judge is on the offensive staff. We got Matt Patricia, primarily a defensive coach prior to this year. I'm told he's been involved in the offensive meetings. Nick Haley, a young tight ends coach. One of those three probably going to be calling the plays, but Laura, for now, we mm. got to just go with what we know BB, TBD. Until fear. he says it, it's a guessing game.
0: We've still got major questions on what this Patriots team is doing. We still don't know what they're doing with their coaching staff. We still don't know how much Bill Belichick is going to be having his hands on every part of it. You just heard right there, Mike Reese talking about how nobody really knows until Belichick comes out and actually defines it. Nobody knows it's to be determined. Nobody knows what's going on. We do know that Joe judge is going to be involved with the offense. We know that Matt Patricia, who's a defensive coordinator is going to be involved in the offense, but we don't know anything else other than that. That's, that's all we've got so far. That's all Bill has privied us to there's nothing but we do know that the team is at least attempting to try and bring new players in or I guess old players at this point because they have now brought in Malcolm Butler once again we were talking about this on the, the episode last week or the last episode I should say about how weird it was that Malcolm Butler was even being brought in for a workout at this point. The guy who has been retired from the NFL for a year, and now he's coming back to the Patriots with his tail between his legs. I'm assuming because he understands that he was in the wrong with the whole Belichick-Butler situation, the whole him not being playing in the Super Bowl. And regardless of how you feel about that happening, regardless of how you think, you know, if you'd put Butler in, we win that game or whatever it is, it's pretty clear to me now that with butler coming back in this fashion you know coming back for a 2 year 9 million dollar deal he's making no money he's coming back to just kind of revitalize his career it seems after retiring for we still don't even know why i don't know it, to me that to, uh, reading into that that feels like all right Bill, I'm sorry I was kind of a jerk back then. I was doing things that I shouldn't have been doing. I should have just stayed on the path and I should have just you know whatever it was whatever it ended up being was it yelling at coaches, pushing coaches, what it, like whatever or, or curfew things, what he was out too late, whatever it was. I feel like I'm I'm reading into this, obviously, but I feel like this move, him coming back to the Patriots, is him being like, I'm sorry, I know where my bread was buttered, I know what makes me better, it's the Patriots system, I'm sorry, Bill, I'm coming back, I'll do whatever you say, I'll take whatever contract you're willing to give me, please make me relevant again. That's how I feel about it. And nothing against Butler, I'm sure he's a great guy. I, I really don't think anything badly about him. Uh, I know that you got to talk crap when you're a cornerback. I say this all the time. Half of the battle when you're a cornerback is how much crap you can talk. How how much ego do you have? And so Butler became that. Butler went from undrafted to being in the Super Bowl hero and then created his ego. And then he was Malcolm Butler, the number one cornerback for the Patriots and then we got rid of him because we didn't think that he was an actual number one cornerback, just like we didn't think J.C. Jackson is a lockdown number one cornerback. We let him go as well. So I, I don't know this. Just to me, it, it's pretty clear that it's a player coming back, tail between his legs, knowing that this is the team for him that's going to get the best out of him to know how to use his skills. And I I believed in the Titans. I believed in their coaching staff. I thought that they were he was going to be able to, I don't know, get some good coaching from them and still be able to work. He wasn't. He, he was not good. He was not a good player, so I don't know. Anyone who's getting excited about getting Malcolm Butler back at this point, I don't know why you're getting excited. Why, why are we getting excited? The guy was just retired. We have no idea what he's going to be. We have no idea if he's going to even be able to make this roster to start the year, if we're being honest. I mean, that it's a two-year deal, yeah, for $9 million, but that is very easily cuttable before the season starts, so... I, I, I wouldn't be convinced that he is your number one cornerback. And if he is your number one cornerback, that is horrible. That is, you need to go get somebody else. You need to go get at least a Stefan Gilmore, which, you know, I don't know if he can still live up to what he used to be, but if you bring him in on a decent deal, maybe he comes back. And now you pair Gilmore with Butler and now Butler can go into that number two role. And now he looks a little bit better. You got Jonathan Jones in the slot. You got, now you're starting to build something maybe, but if it's just Malcolm Butler, And and he's the number one guy. And then you got Jonathan Jones as your number two. And you got what? Miles Bryant. You got you got this Mitchell guy. You got who do you have? You have nobody in that secondary, really. Yes, you got um, Devin McCourty back to oversee everything, to overlook all of it. But I I don't know. You know, you're going to have to take a huge step. Duggar Duggar is going to have to take a huge step for that secondary not to take a hit. If Malcolm Butler is your number one cornerback, you can't, you can't come out here and try and tell me that you're confident in Malcolm Butler. Everyone's excited because it's a name. Yes. But I I don't know. It's, it's nothing that's moving, moving the needle over here. Not, nothing that should be moving the needle for anybody else, because we have no idea what this guy could be. He could be a complete bum. He could not even make the team. So don't get too hyped on Malcolm Butler. That, that's, that's my main point of this entire rant here is don't get too high on him because we don't even know what he's going to be, but I find it funny that he was, you know, coming back, tail between his legs. And, and we're going to see what that means for this team going forward. I mean, this is a team that has not really done a ton yet. We've signed our guys. We got Bentley back. You know, we, we, we got Devin McCourty back. We got Slater back for some reason. I love Slater, but I still don't really understand that. James Ferentz, Trent Brown, James White. We're signing all of our guys. Brian Hoyer, who's actually the quarterback coach, in my opinion. We're signing all of these guys. To come back, you went out and you got Mac Wilson in a trade who we'll see how that works out. I hope that that works out really well, but I don't know. There's still a lot of major question marks, a lot of major question marks other than just what the coaching staff is going to be, and once again, like I said last time, there's no way you can be confident in this in this Patriots team right now. You can't. You can't be confident that they're going to be a playoff team, especially with how good the rest of the AFC has gotten, especially with all the quarterbacks that have moved into the AFC and the way everything is looking and everyone is loading up. You can't feel confident about it. I was just ra- ragging on the do- Dolphins for getting Tyreek Hill in the last segment, and I still don't think that they would be any threat to us, but... I don't know. You're, you're. I'm looking at us in that tier. We're, we're the ninth or tenth best team in the AFC right now, as it, as it stands right now. You need to make some moves. You need to figure some things out. We can't just focus on in Bill we trust right now. You got to figure something else out. You got to bring some other players in, or we're gonna be screwed. I, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it goes. All right. Time to move on once again. We're gonna talk about some baseball stuff when we come back after this on ninety point seven WKKL.
2: The Claptrap, with your host, Zach Clapp.
0: So we're getting closer to the MLB season. We've got spring training games going on, and up until the last couple of games, the Red Sox were rolling in spring training. Now they've lost a couple. Not that it matters. It doesn't at all. But we had some new news come out with the Red Sox, and I wanted to kind of jump into this because I'm starting to get confused about what the path is for this Red Sox team. You go out, and we just had the big news about signing Trevor Story, and it's like, okay, they've opened up the checkbook, they're going back to buying players again, and they're going to try and make sure that we are in a good position. But then it comes out that Rafael Devers... And the Red Sox still have not made any discussions about a multi-year deal going forward. Now, I'm confused because you are also kind of doing the same thing with Bogarts in a way. He's not ready to go yet. They haven't started any negotiations with him. Obviously, he's going to want to get paid like a top-tier shortstop, a $30 million or $35 million a year type of guy like Correa or somebody like that. But Rafi Devers, I think, is somebody that you can easily get signed for a multi-year deal now and. It should be a no-brainer, right? I, I, I don't know any baseball fans out there that would be upset by us signing Rafael Devers to a long-term deal. Now, the the Red Sox did agree to give him the the uh, they picked up his player option or or whatever it is for the eleven point two million dollars next season. Devers is going to play for the team in twenty twenty three, but they still haven't made any conversations about extending him past that point. So. I'm just a little confused. You go out, you give this big contract to Trevor Story. Some people say it's team-friendly, but I don't I don't really see it. I mean, it's still a pretty big deal. And then now you've got a guy on your team, and I, I get it. You don't have to do it right now, but why, uh, why not go and, and lock him up right now? You know what the new contract stipulations are going to be. You know what the new bargaining agreement is. You know what you can do. Why not go and lock this guy up before the contracts get even bigger? Uh, for a guy like that, uh, and, and try and get him out on a team-friendly deal. He's, he's come out and said, I am open to the co- uh, to conversations. This is my home. Obviously, I want to be here. That's quotes from him earlier this month. So Devers wants to play with the team, and he is a pivotal, a very important part of this lineup, I'd say. Yes, he's had his moments with his defense at third base, but whatever, eventually we might end up moving him to first base. Who knows? There's a lot of options that you can make with him. You sign him now, and if you end up losing JD Martinez, Devers can be your DH. He's great. I mean, Devers is great hitting wise. Last season, Devers was an All Star for the team, batting 279, had 38 home runs, 113 RBIs. Why do you not want that guy back on your your roster? I don't. I don't understand. So. I'm not saying that they're not going to sign him. I'm just a little confused as to why it's taking so long or why they're why they're kind of playing this game right now. He's 25 years old. Get him on a deal now, get him signed up, get bet Bogarts as well. If you could have an infield that has Trevor Story, Xander Bogarts, and Rafi Devers for the next three, four, five seasons, why would you not go and do that? You would you would be so dominant. You would keep your team at such a high level from a batting standpoint that it would i mean you can go out and get all the pitchers we're going to need to do that as well but i don't know i i'm just a little confused why it's we're at this point i'm hoping it's not meaning anything i'm hoping i'm not reading into this too much i'm i'm hoping that you know something will come down the pike at at, at the end of the year or whatever obviously like i said they picked up the option for next year so he's going to be able to play regardless for the team but don't make him go into that season without an extension please don't, don't do not do that again into the next year and let him question, what am I doing? What can I get on the open market? Now you're looking at if he has a great year this year, and then he's starting to have a great season next year. Why is he going to sign the team-friendly deal when he could go, and you've pushed him to this point, and he could go out into free agency and get a gigantic contract from some team? Because somebody will pay him. Somebody will do that. And we're the Boston Red Sox. Come on. We just started to open up the checkbook. You went out. and You got a big player like Trevor Story. Who and and I, I know that a lot of people have been questioning: Was he going to take over for Bogarts? If we lose Bogarts, we shouldn't be losing any of them. We shouldn't be losing him. We shouldn't be losing Devers. You should be having an infield that looks like Dawback at first. Get better at defense, but Dawback at first. Trevor Story at second, Xander Bogut at short, and then Raphael Devers at third. That that four right there is so potent, at least from a batting standpoint, but also I believe defensively they will be fine, that you, ha- you just have to do that. You have to, right? There's no, I don't know, I, anyone who's questioning that I would be saying is crazy. So I, I, I'm not, I'm... I'm wondering what's happening there. I, I want to know what's going on. And I think that they need to give us some more clarity on that as soon as possible. Go after Devers, give him the contract that he deserves. But I don't know. The The other thing that kind of came out recently, and I thought this was, this was like a non-story, but something that I wanted to talk about a little bit, was the Xander Bogarts T-shirt that he was wearing the other day. I, I don't know if you guys saw this. Uh, I think he was wearing it last week during spring training, something. It's a t-shirt that shows the play that was made, the cutoff play that he made in that Yankees play-in game, throwing the ball home and getting the big out on a stupid play, honestly, by the Yankees sending their runner from third when he had no chance of getting home. But it's a very, like the, t- the t-shirt, that if you see it, if you look at it and I can, I'm going to post it on Twitter, but at the clap trap, if you haven't seen it yet, but it's basically a T-shirt saying, like, hey, look at me. I can play defense. And I, I, I don't know. It's something about that. I know deep down that I think that mentally baseball players are some of the weakest, if we're being honest. I, something about baseball players' mental toughness. I, I mean, they're right up there with basketball players. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, something about those two sports, to me, they're just mentally not as tough. And I think that what has happened is Xander Bogart has listened too much to the media. He's talked to, listened to too much about how his defense was was not good enough. It's not up to par. So wearing a T shirt like that, I don't know, man. I I don't think you need to do that. I think you need to go out there and just keep letting your play talk for you. You are good enough defensively. You are great offensively. You're gonna be a stud in this e- league for years. Don't listen to the haters. Don't listen to the outside noise. Just be stronger than that. I don't know. It was something that kind of bugged me. I was just looking at it like, yikes. Why, why is he wearing that shirt? Why does he feel that he needs to be able to talk that way? I don't I don't understand it. So I don't know. I I, I think that the Red Sox would be foolish if they don't keep that infield that I just mentioned before uh, of dawback, story, Bogarts endeavors. Lock that up for years to come. We'll figure all the other stuff out. You have enough money. John Henry looks like he's opened the checkbook again. Figure it out. That's all I'm saying. All right. We're going to wrap up the this, this show talking a little bit about the March Madness Tournament. When we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL.
2: The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp.
0: We're talking March Madness to finish off the show. A little segment here just to talk briefly about it. I'm not the biggest college sports guy in the world. I'm trying to get more into it. And obviously, I've talked about this before. I think that the March Madness tournament is great because you can be the most casual of casual fans, jump in, do a bracket, and still have the time of your life just watching these college kids do or die by every single shot, living, hanging on every single moment. There's just something about college kids who are not getting paid millions of dollars in the way that they just love the game they just want to win all of that is just something to me that i you can't replicate anywhere else so the march madness tournament is amazing i'm a big fan of it but i gotta say to anybody out there watching or listening and watching along with the tournament and whatnot is anyone else a little disappointed with this march madness tourney i i don't know this this one specifically just to me, having no major buzzer beaters, no major buzzer beater moments is kind of a buzz kill to me. I, yes, we've had some big upsets and it's been fun and all, but no crazy heartbreaking steal your soul buzzer beaters. I'm kind of shocked and I'm really upset, to be honest. I, I don't know. There's something about that every single year. Yes, I love it no matter what. I love being able to get into it. You, you live and die. There's been some cool overtime games. There's been, like I said, some big upsets. You know, you had the 15 over the two seed, all that kind of stuff. Crazy, long Cinderella runs. This year has been all up in the air, but I don't know. There's always, it seems in these tournaments, these crazy buzzer beaters that just absolutely destroy one team and send the other team and their fan base into a tornado of crazy celebrations. I love that stuff. I eat that up. I, I I go and I search on social media for all the clips. I watch it over and over again. It's just great great to see not only the celebrations but also also the defeats. Uh, how much players and and kids are just you know destroyed by these moments. I'm not I'm not rooting for chaos at all times. Yeah, I kind of am sometimes, but it is. I don't know. It's, it's, there's something else to it when you have those crazy buzzer beaters and you get it the most in this type of a tournament, in this specific tournament, March Madness. But this year, I I mean, it's not over yet. Obviously, there could still be some more, but come on. Let's, let's get a couple. Let's get a couple of heartbreaking, soul snatching buzzer beaters in this tournament to finish it off. That's what I want. That's, that's what I need. That's feed me that kind of stuff. But, As far as the team still going in the tournament, I don't know much. We're going to have to bring Big Tone back on. If you guys, a couple episodes ago, I brought on Big Tone here, who's great on Twitter, loves college basketball, very insightful on all of that kind of stuff. Going to bring him back on this this coming week. I need to ask him more questions going into the Final Four weekend. That's going to be coming up. So I want to know more about him. But from what I've seen so far, for any of you guys out there that are watching, of all the teams that are remaining, I'm most interested to see if anyone's going to be able to handle that kid who's a true over-seven-footer on Purdue. That the, I believe his name is Ivy. The guy, I think they have him, I'm pretty sure he's listed at seven-foot-four. And he's clearly the biggest player left in the tournament, so I, I, I'm wondering if play if teams are going to be able to deal with Purdue and having a monstrous seven foot four kid on their team who's just being able to dominate the paint, rebounds, blocks. Don't go in his zone. He's going to turn you away pretty quickly. So I, I'll be surprised if that's uh, you know if they're not really far in this tournament by the end. If they don't keep going just based on having that kid alone. Honestly, that's all I'm, I'm, I'm the big casual over here. All right. But I I don't know these other teams, like, is anyone also, is anyone super invested or invested at all in the whole coach K retirement tour situation? Or are people just kind of fed up with that? Are people just wanting him to lose and go away? Or are people interested to see it? I know that he's always been known as not the best guy. Uh, and I got I will ask Big Tone about that next week, and the whole situation with Duke. I know that nobody really likes Duke either. They're kind of the stuck-up guys. That's where uh, you know Kyrie Irving came from, and he's considered a stuck-up Duke-type player. There's been others in the past. Hopefully Tatum isn't that, but you know he went there too. I don't know. Are, are people invested more in that whole situation? Do they even care about the Coach K situation, or are they, you know, just living and dying by their brackets? I I don't really know. I, I'm excited by it. I, my bracket is completely busted. I don't know about you guys. I I'm I lost Arizona last night. I lost Gonzaga last night. I lost Texas Tech, who was my champion in my bracket last night. I lost everybody. I don't even. That's that's here nor there because I'm just terrible with this stuff. You should never follow any of my college basketball information. That's why I bring on guys like Big Tone or I have have my, my buddy Cam who does uh, all of his picks on Twitter as well. I put them out at the Claptrap if you ever want to follow along with that kind of stuff. He's actually pretty dang good at picking college basketball, but I don't know. That That was really just all I wanted to say about the college basketball tournament. I think it's great. I think it's great for casuals. I think if you don't get into it, you're missing out. If you're a sports fan and you don't – if you like any type of basketball and you don't get into the March Madness tournament, I, I think you're missing out. I think you should try it next year. If you haven't this year, it's worth doing. It's just fun. You can do it with your family. Like I said, nobody needs to know anything about college basketball to get involved. It's a lot of a lot of fun to just do it and just have a good time, uh, you know – all over the place. I do it with my girl. We have our own little in-house bet about our brackets, and she is whooping my butt right now. By the way, so I'm gonna have I'm I'm owe her one pretty soon, but. All right, that's going to do it for the episode. Like I said, next week we're going to bring in some cool guests. I'm going to bring back Big Tone. We're going to talk about stuff like that. I'm going to try and talk more about the Celtics, the Patriots, the Bruins. I hope that the Bruins keep rolling. Got a big game against the Maple Leafs coming up on Tuesday of next week. We'll see how they do. Red Sox, I hope you keep making moves. Maybe go out and sign Rafael Devers now. Just do it. Just make everyone happy. Do that right now. But. We will have this up as a podcast wherever they're found, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever. Just search The Claptrap. You'll be able to find it. Like I said, also, I'm up on Twitter and Instagram at The Claptrap, giving you info about the show and what we're going to be talking about. So, if you could... Follow along, give me a like, listen, whatever it's going to be, I'd really appreciate it. I also got some big news coming up about the Cape Cod Baseball League, so stay tuned for that. Anybody who's interested in the Cape Cod Baseball League, WKKL is going to be very involved with them this summer, myself included, going to be doing a new show on Mondays all about the Cape Cod Baseball League. That is starting to ramp up. That season starting in June, but we're going to start getting into it at the end of April. It's going to be a lot of fun, so I'll keep plugging that as well. But I hope everyone has a great weekend. I hope that this bad weather gets better for everybody, and I hope that you can do everything that you want to do this weekend. I hope that also any of your brackets work out really well uh, out there. I'm sure they will for some people. But keep it right here on 90.7 WKKL for more of the Capes Classic Alternative. Also, up next, we have our show Richie's Newsroom starting, so stay tuned for that as well. All right, see you later, guys.